0: It's not that I'm a martyr. I am not. And it's not that I am very brave. I am not.
1: For Afghans who are watching a closing window of evacuations, they're facing this impossible choice about whether to try and leave or whether to stay.
0: This is is something this will kill me. This will destroy me forever. What is the point of being alive if I cannot sleep at night
1: or if I cannot live with myself? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, August 24th. The Taliban announced this morning they are no longer allowing Afghans to enter Kabul airport and evacuate. They say it's more important for Afghans to stay and help rebuild the country. We, the Islamic Emirates are really, really trying, trying to control the situation. The way to the airport has Bahrain been closed now. Afghans are not allowed to, to go there now. Foreigners are allowed to go. go. It is still unclear what that will mean for Afghans outside the airport who have plans to leave.
2: We are currently on a pace to finish by August the 31st. The sooner we can finish, the better. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops. But the completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate and allow access to the airport for those who were were transporting out and no disruptions to our operations.
1: The White House said today that they are seeking to stick to the August 31st deadline to withdraw, though Biden has asked the Pentagon to come up with a contingency plan if the evacuations aren't finished by the deadline. Later in the show, we're talking about the efforts to get people out of Afghanistan, including sending in a top U.S. spy. But we also wanted to talk to someone who is choosing to stay in Afghanistan, despite the danger.
0: Hello? Rina?
3: Hi, Mabuba. This is Rina. Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking this call. Um, do you mind if I record this conversation? Oh,
0: please record it. No, I don't mind. Okay, great.
1: On Monday, our senior producer, Rena Flores, reached out to a woman in Afghanistan who is doing very risky work.
0: I'm currently talking from Kabul, Afghanistan, and my name is Mabu Siraj. I am the executive director of Afghan Women Skills Development Program. We run
1: shelters in Afghanistan. Mabuba is a prominent women's advocate. She pushed to have women negotiators at the table during peace talks with the Taliban. She's also on the board of the Afghan Women's Network. We asked her what it was like to see her country fall to the Taliban. People are dying trying to go to the airport.
0: It's chaotic. People are dying. People are shooting at people. There are, there are thousands of people by the walls and by the gates and by everything. You know, women are being, uh, are being hauled over those, those, those huge concrete walls. And, and, and it's like, and it's like, it's like so horrible. So horrible. And nobody can, can get in. And then uh, people receive these phone calls. Okay, come on over to the airport. And the poor things, they they, they take all of their, their belongings, they, or whatever it is, whatever they've packed, with their kids, and with the hope in their hearts, and they go. And they go, they cannot get into the airport. And then once they get into the airport, they have to wait over there for six days, sometimes. The banks are closed. The banks have been closed since, since the day Taliban came. Which is about you know a week, fifteenth of August. So it's been eight days. We had there is no money in the city, and whatever money we had, we are spending it, and we are going to be running out of money. Shortly, we are going to be running out of food. We are going to be running out of everything. How, what are we going to do? But thank God, at least we still have our 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 internet and forms. The second this goes, honestly especially the internet then we are going to die completely because then nobody can find out what's going on here
3: can i ask you you know you've been a women's rights activist for for a long time now and you have seen i'm sure you've seen the promises from the Taliban that they are going to be different now for for women and for girls and i I wonder, what do, you, what do you think about that? What do you make of that?
0: I, I cannot say anything. First of all, I don't believe a word of just words. Words to me don't mean anything, but that's not only coming from Taliban. Words don't mean anything to me coming from anybody. And as far as the trust to the Taliban or anything, it doesn't exist. Because the Taliban have given, have given their, their, you know, uh, they're tested already. And they failed. They failed big time. So people of Afghanistan don't trust them anymore.
3: Are you trying to, to leave? Are you trying to evacuate? No. No, I don't.
0: I'm not trying to evacuate and I'm not trying to leave. Um, I am staying here. Can you tell me why? To tell you why? Well, you know, I, uh, I would like to stay in Afghanistan. Actually, I'm, a, I'm an African-American. I do have my American passport in my pocket. I don't want to go back to the United States. I want to stay here, and I want to see what I can do with the people of this country, you know, that the United States, you know, messed it up so big time, and the world messed it up. So if if everybody leaves, then what's going to happen to Afghanistan? Right now, there's a void of power. There is a void of everything. We don't have any people to do the jobs, to work, nothing. It, it, that's what's happening right now. So, So what are we going to do? What is going to be happening? I don't know. But I'm not going to run. Not at all. And I haven't done anything wrong for the Taliban to come and kill me. Besides, I'm 73 years old. If they want to come and kill me, hey, let them come and kill me. I've promised my sister that if I see my life in absolute, absolute danger, I promised her that I will get out. But if I don't, I've asked her, I said, please, please pray for me and let me do this. Let me do this. Let me see if I can be if I can be the voice of a few a few women around me. What am I supposed to do, Lena, with the girls that I have in in my shelter, that that they don't have anybody in in Afghanistan to help them? I can't get them all out. I can't. I'm trying to to get as much as as many of them as possible. But I can't get all of them out. So what am I supposed to do close the door and say thank you well all of these years it was very good to know you i mean i mean we had the shelters the world promised you all of these things but now no i'm sorry we cannot do anything is that what i'm supposed, supposed to say is that is that what the world wants me to say i cannot
1: Mabuba Saraj is the executive director of the Afghan Women's Skills Development Center. She spoke to Post Report senior producer Rena Flores. After the break, a secret meeting between the top U.S. spy and the Taliban, and what that could signal for the U.S.'s position in Afghanistan. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, this is Christina Quinn.
2: It happened under a sort of shroud of secrecy.
1: John Hudson is a national security reporter for The Post, and he broke the news of this clandestine meeting in Kabul this week between the CIA director, William Burns, and the Taliban leader, Abdul Ghani Baradar. It's a meeting that demonstrates just how quickly the power dynamic has changed. We caught up with John this morning before he headed to the State Department.
2: The CIA director traveled to Afghanistan and had a meeting in Kabul with the Taliban leader amid this frantic evacuation crisis where there are thousands and thousands of U.S. officials, Afghans, and Western officials trying to flee the capital after the Taliban's takeover.
1: Do we know what they talked about in this meeting?
2: So the CIA declined to comment on this meeting, as they do with all of the director's foreign travel. Uh, but uh, we can safely say that it is related to the evacuation of U.S. personnel and others from Afghanistan. The U.S. is facing a very difficult August 31st deadline to get everyone out of the country. Um, It's under a lot of pressure to extend that deadline and continue operating this massive airlift. Um, But the Taliban has said that that is a red line, and there will be consequences if the U.S. military is not out of the country by then.
1: And do we know what those consequences are, or if the CIA director is basically trying to get the Taliban to back away from enforcing those consequences?
2: We don't know what those consequences are. All all we do know is the Taliban are effectively in control of the country. They have the airport surrounded, and it is an extremely precarious situation with U.S. uh, armed forces operating the airport, thousands and thousands of people uh, flocking to the airport and surrounding it. There's a crush of people. There has been uh, violence and uh, 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 really sporadic violence that has has broken out in the the process of this and just an absolute desperation to, to flee the Taliban's rule.
1: And can you tell me a little bit more about the Taliban leader, Abdul Ghani Baradar?
2: This is really a fascinating meeting of the minds here. Um, With Burns, you have one of the most decorated U.S. diplomats turned spymaster heading to the country to meet Baradar. Baradar is someone who has climbed to the leadership structure of the Taliban, uh, starting with somewhat humble roots fighting the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, later becoming a governor a governor of several provinces in Afghanistan when the Taliban ruled the country in the 90s. Uh, and then after the U.S. invasion, uh, he fled to Pakistan, where – He was uh, arrested uh, in 2010 in a joint CIA Pakistan operation uh, that Mm -hmm. wound him up in in a Pakistani jail for eight years. And so, you know, yesterday he was sitting across the table from the director of the CIA, the agency that in some ways was responsible for him serving an eight-year prison sentence in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So you got to imagine that that is quite a moment in the room there.
1: And what do you think that irony says to you about where we're at in, in this withdrawal?
2: Well, it just shows an incredible turning of the tables. You know, the United States, after 9-11, came into Afghanistan, very quickly ousted the Taliban. And there were a number of opportunities to negotiate a deal over 20 years of war. Uh, but it never happened. The fighting continued. And it continued uh, as the Taliban made more and more advances over 20 years, over trillions spent, uh, over thousands of American lives lost. And it ended in a Taliban takeover of the entire country, not through a negotiation, uh, not through a political settlement that could see the U.S. keeping some of its progress in place, Uh, a total Taliban victory that gives them a maximum amount of leverage. So it's an incredible amount of of irony for a man who is personally humbled by the CIA Mm. after this joint arrest. And and now is in a position where he has the room to dictate how Afghanistan's future is going to be. And he has place to dictate how the US evacuation uh is going to be. I, I, I doubt that the irony was lost on, on him or Director Burns when they met yesterday.
1: That's so interesting. So tell me a little bit more about what kind of pressure Biden is under right now, both from the Taliban, but also from our allies.
2: The pressure is huge. This is a massive logistical feat. There's thousands of troops in the Kabul airport. So they have to start getting going at at this moment. Outside of pressure from the Pentagon, the White House is also under pressure from our Western allies who have worked and served with us in Afghanistan for years. They need to get their people out. They need to get their Afghan helpers out as well. And so there have been a number of meetings. There was a NATO meeting on Friday where this topic of extending the deadline dominated. discussions, uh, there was also, you know, there's also this G7 meeting where that's going to come up as well. Really, the clock is ticking and it's really unclear how this standoff is going to resolve itself. And in terms of the G7 meeting, what will the G7
1: want from the U.S. and what can the G7 do to help with the evacuation?
2: Well, there's a huge international effort happening right now involving G7 members, involving the U.S. Uh, Essentially, uh, the United States is trying to rush people out of Afghanistan. They're not completing all the screening processes that it takes for someone to come back into the United States. They're dropping people off at military bases, at way stations uh, around the world uh, where they can be processed uh, fully and then come to the United States. Afterwards, so there's a, a huge roster of countries uh, willing to help out the United States process the these um, these Afghan helpers, and in some cases, you know, uh, uh, serve as a way station for U.S. personnel before they move on to the final destination back in the United States.
1: So in these discussions with the G7 and with other countries that are allies of the U.S., what is at stake here for the U.S.'s reputation and legacy?
2: Well, um, you know, the Biden administration came into office as the competent administration, or at least that's how they've been depicting themselves uh, in in wake of these so many unforced errors of the Trump years. Uh, Now, no one has looked at the way that this... War wound down as a paragon of competence. The reality is things always go wrong in Afghanistan. They've gone wrong after 20 years and they're going wrong in this withdrawal as well uh, in a very difficult situation where you have U.S. and Western officials trying to get out of the country while it's already under Taliban control. And so in terms of of credibility, what the U.S. can do um, and what it's hoping to do is carry out, you know, one of the largest airlifts in history. Uh, and if they can do that, and if they can do that with, uh, without, um, you know, a tragic number of losses of life and relative quickness, they'll be able to recapture some of that trust that they have lost with the frantic nature of this withdrawal.
1: John Hudson is a national security reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Mohammed and produced by Rena Flores. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag PostReports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.